Hey, this is Richard. And this is Eric. And you're listening to the Coral Contrarians podcast. you again hello Gandalf I'm gonna tell you right now I don't have the ring anymore I gave it away it's gone we don't need you here Gandalf join me for a party (laughs) oh oh it's Richard oh I'm sorry you're starting to look a bit like Gandalf lately I couldn't tell with that snowy beard (laughs) And weird hat that you're wearing it's, right now. <laughs> it's that time of year wow. when we all get a little Gandalfy. You do. I mean that right? that 20 mile walk through the 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 snow really affected you. So shake well, shake uh, that yeah. beard off, shake it off, and I'm come gonna, on. I'm going to shake it off. Yeah, um, boy, it is a cold one out there. It is, and we've got the fire roaring, Surely. and you're yes. you're just in oh. time to come into mm-hmm. my sort of. Uh, perfectly clean, COVIDless mm. air in my house, which has oh, been toasty. I've been breathing into. Yeah, good. Okay, nothing to fear. No, this seems I have really healthy. I've been sick recently, Richard. So come on in. <laughs> Welcome. Welcome okay. to my uh, maskless existence in here. So come on and take a seat. Let me breathe on you for a while. I think I, I think I will. Let me just sit here and um, take it all in. No, yeah. uh, I'm on the mend, and I'm happy that you came came by today to sit with me in front of the fire and reminisce mm-hmm. about who knows what. Yes, How are you it's doing great these to days? be here. You know, things are good. Uh, we're getting toward the end of the holiday season, so. Um, you know, that's always a busy time for choral directors and musicians. You have to bring the holly jolly to the folks around you. Um, so we're staying strong, and hopefully you are doing well uh, in spite of your um, your recent illness and everything. How are you feeling? I'm feeling fine. I, I think, strangely, I was struggling to... For some reason, even before uh, getting sick a week, over a week ago, struggling mm-hmm. to connect for some reason. You know, usually you mm. can you can walk through Costco and mm-hmm. <laughs> and sort of uh-huh. <laughs> get forced into connecting with the holiday, even in October. Oh sure, you know, as yeah, the, as no, the trees it starts early. No, I I don't know. I love this time of year and. I was mm-hmm. remin- thinking back to, I usually, 
start to feel the season, mm-hmm. um, you know, by Thanksgiving. And for some yeah. reason, I it just wasn't happening. There's something, it it was distant or veiled in some way. And I feel like this mm-hmm. recent sickness has only made it worse in that I'm not uh, feeling the year. And I, I kind of also wonder, because it's it's only lightly dusted with snow here, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is a little different. I think most areas of the north have ex- usually usual years experience mm-hmm. either some moderation of snow to some degree, and it feels like this year there hasn't been a lot. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's a mm-hmm. part of it too. I don't know. The weather seems a bit warm. Yeah, it's been warm here. We had a dusting a couple of weeks back uh, and there was a cold snap, but it's um you know, maybe in the 40s here right now. That's uh t-shirt and shorts weather right. if you're right from the upper Midwest. Right. So, you know, sun's out, guns um, out. That's that's what that Yeah. <laughs> And I agree. I think maybe a part of it is this year, um, in terms of the calendar, it's a little funny because with Christmas Day on a Monday, Mm. you end up um, truncating a little bit of your your schedule beforehand. So, um, you know, if, if folks are working in an institution or at a school, you're probably going right up to the bitter end uh, before you get to take that that time off. So that could have something to do with it as well. I'm glad you're doing good. I forgot to ask, do you want something to drink, Richard? Oh, I'd, I'd love something. Yeah. Let's. <laughs> okay. I see you pouring it. Some nice glig. Mm. Some glig. Yes. Uh, it tastes what? of mulled berries and... I don't, oh, good. I don't remember what glug tastes like, but let me let me grab a hot poker from the fire and, yep. and place it in to to really cause it to warm up. There you go. Oh, um, wonderful. Here, let me. Mm-hmm. <coughs> oh, <good. laughs> careful with glug uh, there. Okay, back to it. You know. I was meaning to share this with you uh, mm-hmm. now that you're over, and I'm glad that you are. Mm-hmm. Coral Contrarians has had an interesting journey uh, in the last two years. We had meant to, over the last four years, to be very um, consistent, and, and we were very successfully consistent for a while. And then as our careers go and as time happened and and I don't know, maybe the year after COVID was worse than the COVID year in some ways. Mm-hmm. In 2021, we sort of let the Coral Contrarians go a little bit because just things were happening. I remember you at in Duluth were just slammed beyond all belief in multiple ways. And so one of the things that not on the chopping block, but just was just sort of let go. We just couldn't find times to meet, mm-hmm. um, which was unfortunate because the timing of which we did receive some letters from people, some correspondences, 
mm-hmm. and they just slip through the cracks. And what I wanted to do today was read one to to you, to us, and uh, respond to it, or just listen to it, and then kind of think about it, because it is worth it, and I feel bad also to to him, and I want to, on behalf of you and I, express uh, sincere regret that this slipped through the, cl- the cracks to mm. Matthias Huberi, and I think an, an, an American would say Matthias Schoberg. In, mm. in Minnesota, he, his name would be Matt Schoberg, but in Sweden... Matthias Hjöberg uh, is a is a composer and a listener, uh, or was at the time, and hopefully he doesn't feel abandoned. So if you are listening to this, please accept our apology that this slipped through the crack. But I want to read it to you, Richard, as you sit back with your hot glug. Mm-hmm. Here's what Matthias says. Dear Choral Contrarians, thank you for a somewhat slow but rewarding journey through choral landscapes. There is always so many thoughts awoken, but they kind of come and go as in a meditation on my lonely walks. One thing that, as a dedicated choral composer, stuck with me in a kind of redeeming way was the idea of sacrifice. And I think it was in the context of Kierkegaard and Dostoevsky in terms of finding purpose or meaning in what you're doing. That really helped me in my own process, the struggle to find the true well of it all in some sense. Thanks for that. It's not about the competition, the career, so to speak, or even for the desk drawer. It is about giving for and to others. So much of my thinking every day revolves around the questions of contemporary choral music and its paradigm, my own struggle with it, and the creative process. As a self-taught composer with upcoming commissions and a quote-unquote day job as a physician, (laughs) I constantly seek new input, and your podcast is definitely one to dive into. I haven't yet heard all the episodes, but could one wish more for more on the current choral paradigm, whatever you would mm. define it as? I see it so much all around, and it has changed a great deal since, for example, the 90s. As a composer, I have to relate to it all the time, not at least due to mm. the fact that we are all in a context of taste, are we not? I mean, not my own taste and preferences. Rather, that as a composer, I have to relate to the taste of others as well. What is cherished and what is not? I guess a few composers in total have the luxury or gift to single-handedly change a paradigm or totally go against it and still be successful. And to be honest, what is it to be true to oneself? No one is without context. No one is an island. Where can I go from the trampoline that is my context? How great to have a podcast that actually dedicates itself to just the noble art of choral music. 
And what a good way of reaching out into the choral world and some philosophically-minded professionals. Looking forward to hearing more from you. Best wishes from Uppsala, Sweden. Thank you, Matthias, for this note. And here's what I might want to ask you. Let's answer in brief a couple of his questions that we think, mm-hmm. too. I mean, we could do a podcast about it, but maybe in brief we could say, what is, would we define as the choral, current choral paradigm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, what a fantastic note. And, um, you know, it's always such a pleasure and a reward to hear from people who are listening and to know that, um, you know, while you and I uh, are, you know, um, people who have always had this uh, sort of conversation with one another, to know that other people are interested in the conversation and that they might be taking some inspiration from it. That's really fantastic. And, and what a thoughtful note. Um, and I, uh, I'll have to go back and think about um, some of the episodes that might have been up around the time mm. that, that this writer um, wrote in, uh, because I know that uh, Dostoevsky and, and uh, Kierkegaard have, have figured into a couple of conversations. I'm reading another uh, Dostoevsky novel as we as we speak so it's it's funny that you that you uh bring that up um so fantastic you know it's funny when i think about the current choral paradigm and i think about our conversations i think we're we've been fairly intentional about um i think not necessarily wrestling with some of the the contemporary music itself um, we've we've talked about some current issues, perhaps, and some some ideas of programming and and all of that. But I I can't think of times that we have really gone deep into what what we think of the the current choral paradigm, uh, what what this music is. And you know, if I were going to um, talk briefly about my own thoughts. Um, you know, and and mindful of the fact, right, that that we have friends and colleagues, and and you know, we ourselves are involved in the current choral paradigm, mm. right, uh, in a way. So I, I want to be uh, mindful and and sensitive to that. Um, you know, I think that if I'm reading between the lines here, a part of this is perhaps this uh, this composer. Um, wrestling with the idea of uh, perhaps you know how how we fit into what the pervading paradigm is. So I think that the first thing to keep in mind is that if we talk about a choral paradigm, you know, within a, a group of artists who are expressing themselves chorally, I think you're going to have a range of ways to express. Right. So the idea that it's a a monolith or it's or it's one way of associating with the art is um, probably not the way to think about it, but it is the way to think about it if if you're thinking about what is popular mm-hmm. um, or if you're thinking about what people seem to be attracted to or what the pervading um, the pervading mood of, of the age is. You know, um, I think that it will be interesting to see what people say about this current moment in 20 or 30 years. Um, for me... You know, I feel like the moment that we're in is um, 
in a way, I think, coming out of something that was more popular maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and that was what I, what I would have called the um, kind of a, a, a faux cathedral of choral sound. And, and what I mean by that is that I think people, um, through the use of, you know, um, prepared dissonance, um, we're sort of writing in an acoustic into the, the choral fabric, if that makes sense. And the way I would describe this to students is um, the stickiness of certain notes, you know, carrying through uh, the texture. So you have, you know, um, when you think of some of the very popular works the last 10 years, um, you know, composers uh, intentionally um, writing, you know, building chords out of clusters, um, slow, uh, you know, things that, that make it sound like you're in a cathedral space, but you're not. Mm. And, and I think that that, um, I think that is meaningful in kind of a, a philosophical way. You know, I think that, um, there was a writer, uh, if you read a, a philosophical book like, um, uh, Charles Taylor's The Secular Age, you know, he talks about um, reclaiming a sense of the transcendent in popular culture. Um, and people sort of reach out for this, but they don't, they're not always aware of, of why or, or what. But it has to do with that loss of kind of the magical in our, our day-to-day. And so I always felt, as, as this style was becoming especially popular, you know, kind of post, um, from, uh, from Jean Berger to Morton Lordson to someone like Whitaker and, and uh, you know, just kind of following that path through people like maybe Jake Runestad or, you know, just name some, some people that are, that are especially popular, right? Um, that, that, to me, that was the through line. You know, it was, it was kind of reaching out for that in terms of sound without um, the, uh, you know, the, the, the need to be in a cathedral space, a, a, you know, an acoustical space that has, you know, historical uh, connection and all of that. And maybe even poetically, you know, just uh, to um, take that sound and put it into poetry that doesn't necessarily reflect the, um, you know, the, the acoustical um, kind of result of, of that kind of writing. I think that um, we're moving away from that in a way. If I, if I look at, you know, more recent things, I think that um, there is um, there's a lot of minimalism and you know just some other things, some more some more rhythmic things that are coming along. But the things that that they have in common, I I think, um, if you take the American style as being, you know, as being one example, um, is that I I find also that a lot of this music is is inward inwardly reflecting um and that the the topics that are chosen um what we're supposed to get out of con concerts i feel like a lot of it is pointed in to the self as opposed to out i don't know exactly how to describe that but i i recall this situation i had i was uh, lecturing at the um in uh krakow poland at a at a for a bunch of choral conductors and I was asked to speak about American choral music, and so I, you know, had some examples. I, and I did it historically. I started, you know, way back, and I, 
I played um, some things from uh, uh, Native American Indian chants, and you know, I started way back, and then I, I went through um, Billings, early colonial, uh, Afro American spiritual, um, you know, all of this, these these wonderful kind of legacy things, and through the art composers. Uh, so you take people like Chadwick and and folks like that, um, Amy Beach. And then I, I talked about some of the, you know, uh, people that, um, you know, were currently uh, being performed. Um, and a, a young Polish conductor came up to me at the end and, and he said, you know what I, um, what I don't like about a lot of American choral music is that it's, it's very um, egotistical. And I said, what do you mean? And, and he said, well, it's, it's made for the composer and the singer to enjoy, but not the listener. It's like you have to see that the singer, that the choir is, is singing about themselves. And it doesn't, and I was like, wow, that's kind of a weird way to think about it. But the more I, the more I considered it, I was like, you know, um, that's an interesting reflection from someone who's not in the middle of our, uh, of what we're doing. Now, of course, I, I can't speak to the genre or the kind of music that this composer from Sweden is thinking about. Um, and I know that that, you know, that's a totally different scene in different countries. So when I was in Poland, you know, I was listening to, in, in meeting composers who were writing, you know, they, they have a, it's just a different um, style and a different focus and, and everything. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, that really did make me think about what we mean when we're talking about our current choral paradigm. And I do think that that, um, that inward focus or that self-reflection is still a part of what, um, audiences and, in, in new works are you know, like what's quote unquote popular sometimes. That was a lot of, a lot of words here in front of the fire. What do you think? Mm. So good. <laughs> <laughs> Pour me some more glug, no, by the uh, way. <laughs> that was good. Uh, I will say, though, I, whether or not I know what the contemporary paradigm is, specifically, I feel like there are a couple contributing factors that are unavoidable to explaining it he does attach something interesting that I want to say, but a couple items that come to mind are globalization and social media and just access is continuing to have an impact on our choral paradigm. I mean, there's no mm -hmm. way around it. And one of the ways that it impacts choral music is the sort of homogenization that we have talked about many, many, many times, or the impact of cultures clashing their particular folk music or their particular sound styles. Um, Asian music uh, now has access to Baltic music, for instance, or in the wor maybe the, the sort of heavy-handed big stick approach of sort of the American Western music has an impact on everybody. Um, so 
access at the choral paradigm in a way for a composer is interesting because and you mentioned this a number of times uh, in recent months which is um, the idea that we are constantly not, not just in competition with local local we're in competition not even with national we're in competition mm. with international for all things and for this composer and myself as a composer I feel what he's saying about we have to not write remu- music about relating to ourself it's that we feel like we have to write music that um, relates to the taste of others not others even in our own culture but others in all cultures <laughs> Because uh, one aspect that he doesn't mention here, which is uh, is another concept that contributes, is publishing. And again, uh, gatekeeping through publishers and uh, that concept is affecting the choral paradigm. For instance, uh, in America, I would say that easier music has been elevated and if you write a cer- certain difficulty of music, it is not, not suppressed like in a like angry way or something. It's just suppressed automatically because of the way that it works here. School systems, the way they want to sell more music, so certain music is elevated, which then impacts the global market, to be really honest. And so when you see that, it's going to affect the overall choral paradigm. And I know what this person is talking about, um, that there just is a difference between, let's say, now and the 90s, because there has to be. I mean, it, it's the Internet, I would say, that we can't escape things like that now. So when you write or perform or listen to choral music, there are certain aspects of it that are, like, inescapable from the black hole that is the internet accessibility um, production advertising all of these things are going to play a role in the current paradigm and I think the result again as we've said many many times now or at least I have I'm, I, I think I'm a little bit more strong in it than you that it's it's the corporatization of it all that results in a sort of a genetic modification of the choral art form. In other words, you're, you're le- less, there are less and less varietals in your batch, in your, or not batch, but less and less varietals in your genome, and more and more homogenized, whatever the word is. And I again, I, I reference um, Michael McGlynn and, and our discussions on um, folk song and maintenance of a cultural art form in the midst of a cosmopolitan sensibility, which I think the, the true contemporary uh, paradigm has been a, an emphasis on beauty or what we perceive to be beautiful, and an emphasis on 
Um, I like what you said, and I've never thought of it that way, the cathedralization of it. That, and there is something, by the way, that cathedralization does, which is emphasize three and six, emphasize, and when you do have dissonance, it must always resolve. Mm-hmm. There is arpeggiation. There is, <laughs> there is, it, it's very rarely, especially in the distant past, right? The cathedral tunes from the distant, distant past weren't, were never ugly or never, they were meant mm-hmm. to transcend, yes, but I have a feeling like, I like what you said, and I'm a little worried about this now as I think about it, that we're, we're it's, it's not really cathedralization, it's a faux cathedralization, which means mm-hmm. that we're not going to get the result that um, Palestrina did because he was doing it for real and we're doing it for fake or we're doing the faux version of... So the transcendence is not necessarily possible in the same way, mm-hmm. even though we're trying to achieve the same concept. Do you know what I mean? I wonder if that's the case. Yeah, I think that's kind of where I was going with it, right? Um, because it it points to something um, that you know, is a, a happy accident acoustically, right, of those, of those spaces. And we know, for example, if you have, you know, a series of consonant chords in a, you know, a space where you have an eight or nine second, um, you know, decay or reverberation, well, you're going to get clashing chords because, you know, chord one is still sounding when chord two begins just in in the space you know so so that's a way to account i think for you know adding seconds and adding fourths and these these tricks you know that that happen in a certain kind of 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 choral writing they signify a hermeneutic of expansiveness and and transcendence um without having to be in the space um but it does you know like for example, when you talk about um, homogeneity, you know that's that's an interesting thing to think about. I do think that the market, um, and I, I believe this strongly. I think that the market does ultimately nullify, you know, and and homogenize things over time because the um, you know, the thing that sells is the thing that perpetuates itself. And ultimately, you're left with this with this sameness. You know, in the United States, you used to go from town to town, and you'd have different stores, mm. and you'd have a different regional chain, and you'd have this and that. And, you know, of course, every you can find a McDonald's in every town. You can find a Home Depot in every town. You know, so um, that's, that's a, an example. But internationally, it, it happens that way, too. However... Um, Another a way to, you know, maybe flip that around, and to go back to the question of, um, say, Palestrina or something, is to say that, really, that that moment of, um, or that expectation that we would have so much, say, cultural variety or or 
stylistic variety. You know, that's a very modern concept and a very a very modernist slash postmodernist idea. And this and this plays out in in fine art. Um, you know, this in pastiche in in some of the dominant art forms of the mid to late twentieth century, where you've you've just got you know figure A and figure B, and they're they're clashing with one another. If you went back in time to you know let's go back to Palestrina, right, and you compare all of those sacred music styles from the late sixteenth century across the board, you know, you need an advanced degree to be able to tell at first listen whether something is from you know Spain or Italy right and you can tell like it, there are some signs but the the differences are are you know so insignificant relative to um, differences in folk style and differences across you know the span of, of a greater period of time you can tell the difference between something from 1800 and something from 1600 you know we, we can get that but in the moment itself there was you know way less homogen or way less uh you know variety i think in terms of say sacred music if, if you're talking about palestrina than there is in in that style now and the di- the difference though i think and, and it's funny because we um people will say to themselves well bach wrote you know thousands of over a thousand works or whatever. Well, he also, you know, had one style to worry about. And <laughs> a composer now, um, you know, and a musician now and a choral conductor now has to know way more yeah. about style to really get across. If you were a choral conductor in the, in the 19th century and you lived in, you know, um, Austria, you would not need to know a ton of choral styles. You wouldn't even really need to know anything about performance practice because you weren't pulling out stuff, you know, um, unless you were really uh, at some extreme end of an academic setting. It just wasn't expected. Right. And so it's it's kind of like we're if we're losing it, and I think we the homogenization is is weird because it it also is made to you know um to make it so vanilla and watered down that there it it's a little like a bradbury in in a uh, fahrenheit 451 or whatever you know like you're nothing can offend you know after a while or nothing can can stir up an extreme emotion you know that's that's what you're avoiding there um but it's not that the that the stylistic homogeneity itself is the problem it's that I think that it is divorced from like human engagement and you know maybe passion or something I don't know you know and or uh, in in what what's the uh where is it pointed you know is is the question I I wonder about that's a lot of that it, boy uh being in front of this fire is really it's hot. brought out it's the hot. philosopher it's <laughs> I will say uh just quickly and in brief to shift to he I think maybe a bigger question as a response that he asks what is it to be true to oneself Mm -hmm. and I think maybe that's what he's thinking and I I think a lot of us are as a response to all these problems all these things as we look at the landscape we'd say well who am I really I mean am I any I like his metaphor of how can I, where can I go from the trampoline that is my own context? 
So you're just mm -hmm. bouncing up and down. And I, I wonder if, do you recall the C.S. Lewis quote about how not to be like everybody else? Like you don't even try to be different, just do the thing. Do you know what I'm, mm -hmm. do you remember mm -hmm. that? Uh, I don't want to look it up right now, but let me look at my books. Uh, <laughs> my, my thousands of tomes here in the, the old fire room. No, I, I think there's some, some sort of axiom that he says about don't try to be different, which I think is the pull when you're like, how do I be my true self? I'm going to try to not be like everybody else. But also, mm -hmm. I don't think he's saying be a mannerist either. I think that what he was saying is just do the thing that isn't inspiring you in your context to the best right. of your ability. So in Matthias's, he is coming from a lineage of Swedish composers that are unbelievable. I mean, come on, mm -hmm. Swedish—he's uh, got in his heritage is Alfane and Stenhammer and all these people. I mean, that's what I would be. I'd be like, let's enjoy my context to the best of my ability and do it in a way like, like the Sandstrom composers are doing. In a way, I mean, they're taking. Mm -hmm. Jan and Sven David and some of these people don't be like them, of course, but also there's a whole Swedish heritage of folk sound from the Nordic countries that I think just conti can continue to be propelled forward. And Oh, yeah, totally. And yeah, it's hard, and maybe you will be marginalized. I think that's the case. I think that's part of what we have to deal with right now is that the the market will relegate difficulty and i like what she said about extreme ex, it it marginalizes extremities you know like extremes mm -hmm. goes to the the outside that yeah i think we just have to be okay with that right now that my pull is to write harder music now the truth of the matter is all the hard music i have at write never gets performed it's that simple mm. Mm -hmm. People know me to have written music for high school groups and maybe a few universities. But the fact of the matter is, at least half of what I've written have been much harder than that. More, than, mm -hmm. But nobody ever mm -hmm. knows about it unless you have to dig or, or look into uh, publishing houses that are selling for music too expensive, like Sulasol, for instance. There are sig I have a few pieces with them, but they're almost unaffordable to the American choir. Mm -hmm. And that's mm -hmm. what I mean by uh, what I was saying earlier uh, in regards to the choral context right now, or the, choral, the current contemporary climate. It is what it is, and there's sort of no way around it. So to be true to oneself would be to be true to oneself. That sort mm -hmm. of is a silly way to say it. But to, to not be sucked into wanting to check a box for what? I mean, unless you're... Matthias is also a physician, so he's sort of the Borodine of choral music right now. <laughs> he gets to come home from his chemist job and write the best string quartets in history. So I, I feel like... Uh, you might have a, a luxury that some composers don't, which is 
you can take risks, maybe, that others might not be able to. Um, if you're, of course, you want to be performed, of course. But also, maybe you don't have to uh, do handshakes, you know, with people. You can say, here's where it is, you know, here's what it is. And this is what I am right, giving to the community. And it is difficult or, or not. It could be the opposite. It could be um, something ugly as well that might not be well received at first. But maybe that is the direction we need to go. And so we need risk takers, I suppose. Yeah, and draw comfort from you know, stories of the past. I mean, I love reading and thinking about um, some of my favorite authors. You know, and a, a person I come back to from time to time is Edgar Allan Poe, you know, who's everyone reads in school now and everyone knows The Raven and all of that. But it's, you know, what I love about his life and about his work um is first of all, there's so much more than the three popular things that everyone knows. His poetry is actually, you know, pretty exceptional um, and very, uh, you know, fun to analyze and, and to think about. But, um, you know, here's a person who in his obituary was, you know, uh, completely pilloried and, you know, died in, in, strange circumstances and didn't really, you know, probably died thinking that nothing, you know, would, would live on or, or last or whatever. Um, but he was so true to his own vision and his own set of ideals and he just kept doing it, you know, and, and you mentioned the idea of just making it. And, um, that's the other, the other part of it. Uh, you know, of course, all performing artists have to live in this strange world where you have to convince people to do your stuff. You know, they're like, we have to have a social exchange that um, is a little unique because you need performers to do it. Um, you know, you if you're a choral composer, you have to write something that you could convince, you know, 30 to 60 people to sing. And that's sort of a weird thing to do. Um, you know, so there is something to that transactional quality and, and that give and take between performer and, and composer. But I don't think that it has to be um, at the beck and call of the market necessarily. And um, I think there are some ways around that too. And I think some people are being creative about those opportunities and um, you know, I, I think the idea of, um, the, uh, of the commons and, you know, the, the exchange of, of works in the, in the public domain and things like that, I think that that is, um, another interesting area, uh, where people can exchange ideas, um, you know, and, and experiment with things without the, um, you know, with, with uh, just a different eye towards what, what your goal is and, and all of that. And if you have the, you know, the, the joy of a, 
of a second stream of income that can certainly be helpful for experimentation. I'm really glad you brought up Edgar Allan Poe because when I knew you were coming over today, I was like, you know what? I've mm-hmm. been dying to share some poetry with you. You know, when I was mm-hmm. in Ireland in the spring, mm-hmm. I, I brought back one thing and it mm. was okay. this tome called Look Back to Look oh. Forward, Frank O'Connor's Complete Translations from the Irish. Wow. And, Beautiful. Um, I was reading this and thought of you, uh, this short poem. Mm-hmm. It's from the section called Kings, Lords, and Commons, Irish poems from the 7th century to the 19th Whoa. century. Wow. Um, it's a short quatrain, um, and I'm going to first read it in Irish because I'm ancient Irish because I'm so good at it, and everybody yeah, will be okay. stunned. Okay. Listen up. <laughs> um, it's called Ata Ben Estir. Mm-hmm. Ata Ben Estir, ni abraim ma'in, maidi desi adairm, amal cloich atairm. Wow. That's unbelievable. It's a great poem. <laughs> it's beautiful. Now I'm going to read in English. Okay. okay. Thank you. You're welcome. This is a literal translation. Okay. There's a woman in the country. I'm not saying her name. Her farts burst forth from <laughs> Her farts burst forth from her like a stone from a sling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's the poem and that made you think of me it did so that's i wanted to share that with you on this 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 time together in front of the fire yeah. and for our gaelic listeners amazing it reminds me of the eighth century <laughs> yeah uh it was a big topic somebody <laughs> somebody spent time writing that down what an amazing work of art. See, Matthias, this is how your, your art lasts. If you, you know what, that's your next piece. You just uh, set that to music and it'll, it'll change the world. You can thank us later. Yep. <laughs> wow. I don't even know. Uh, I don't even know where to go with with that but um, there's nowhere to go i just wanted to share yeah. that amazing piece of art with you richard i had a, a question for you i was thinking about this and since we're here in front of the fire i just wonder if you're familiar with this concept have you have you heard of negative harmony do you know about this have you ever listened to any negative harmony pieces negative harmony so negative i'm gonna harmony. just quick ass my mind and i'm sure uh, anybody listening would assume mm-hmm. that means dissonance, but I'm I'm assuming that's not what it means. It's a little it's a little different. And I a couple of weeks ago, um, I started finding some things on YouTube, and I was listening to some things with with my kids. And so I have a question related to this, but I I want to I, I guess I can lay it out a little briefly. I think that Jacob Collier is a person who popularized or at least started talking about this and then you know he's very popular and he's and he's popular in the choral world uh, does does work with groups and things so that that got me thinking about 
a question for you. So the idea is, it's not dissonance. It's not like you take consonants and you turn it into dissonance, or you take, you know, a third and you turn it into a sixth. That's not an inversion. The idea is, um, if you imagine the circle of fifths, okay? Yeah. So let's say you start with C, yep. and you go uh, down the circle of fifths. So C, F, B flat, E flat, right? Yeah. So you're you're going there. And then if you start on the dominant of C, right, G, and you go up the circle of fifths, G, D, um, A, right, E, you, you keep going that way. And then you lay these next to each other. So C is next to G. Yeah. And F, which is down a fifth, is next to D, which is up a fifth from G, and so on and so forth. Within, you know, a, a few lines, you've got all of the notes in the, in the chromatic scale. Okay. And if you take a chord that is written in one way and you and you go you know on like this chart basically or or you know if you work this out in this way, then you can come up with a negative harmony for a chord. So for example, if you had C, E, and G. So C was up there up top, E was down a few in the circle of fifths from, from G, and then G is the fifth above C, right? So C, G, and, and E. And you flip it around, then your G would be a C, your E would be an E flat, and then your, your C would be the G. So, so your C major would, would be C minor. Okay, but then if you took an F major chord, F A C, okay, right? So C would turn into G. Okay, your F would turn into D because it was a fifth down, but now it's a fifth above, above, um, above uh, G. And then the third note A would become a B flat. So that would be G B flat D. So the 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 negative harmony of F would not be F minor, it would be G minor. Okay. Okay, so th that's the theory. Okay, that's that's what's behind it. If you go on YouTube and you search for songs, there are people who have taken AI, we've talked about AI, yeah. even this, this season, and they're taking songs and they're redoing them in negative harmony, and they're just fantastic. I think they're totally fascinating. The one that I love is... Um, all I want for Christmas is you. Okay. So there's a negative harmony version of the Mariah Carey song up there, and it's hilarious, and it sounds it sounds great. It sounds legit. So it's a total, and it you know a lot of the major chords become minor, but it's a total, totally different harmony, and it works. It it like it works on its own, theoretically, and and so you don't have these strange dissonances and stuff like that. My question for you, Eric, is. I mean, but you but you haven't listened to a negative harmony song, right? You haven't you haven't gone down this rabbit hole, right? Am I right? right? Because my question was going to be, what choral piece would you like to hear in negative harmony? And without knowing how this sounds, um, just imagine how that sounds, and then and then give well, me let me follow choice. it up with a question, though. This makes yeah. me. I'm, I okay. mean, this might be a really stupid question. Go ahead. It just makes it 
kind of sound like serialism, though, like a very unique type of matrices that you're building. Do you know what, well, I, it is do you a, know what I mean by it, that? Like it's a very, just a very specific, unique, uh, yeah, determined set that you're playing with, that there is a determined outcome from it. So yeah, if like theoretically, it is basically an outcome of set theory, right? Because right, what right, you're doing right. is you're you're taking the number of half steps, and if you, if you work it out, that's what you're doing. You're right. just flipping the set, right? Flipping right. the set. So a way to visualize it is through the circle of things. Right. But yeah, it's all just an, an application of set theory. Um, so as usual, should we relegate this to the garbage bin like the rest of it? Just kidding. <laughs> Okay, so me, right, me not having heard any of this music, uh, it mm -hmm. does make me kind of wonder: is it a, is it a, is it something that anyone could know was written on, on its own, or must it be applied to something already existing for it to matter? In the same way that a composer writing a fugue would invert a theme mm. it, it would have to be applied to something that had been written. and if it wasn't that it would just be concrete it would just, just be a piece a, yeah it would be just itself. be a piece right. you wrote right. and then uh, you could write that thing and then apply but then it would you know, be positive it, then if you flip <laughs> is it is it what if it is there such a thing as a double negative mm, that's what we need to um, a double negative to bring out the double negative harmony it's better than the negative. Actually, that's a curious you, thing, because if it is a yeah. double negative, does it just go back to itself, or does it go to something else? I want to. Okay, so here's here's my homework for you. I would like for you to try this. I want you to <laughs> listen no, to. I'm some, not doing any homework. No, oh, do oh, do listening. this. Yes, do this I'll one do thing for me. Okay. You do some listening, but then Eric, I take just something short that you did, or I'll I'll do this with one of your pieces. I want to hear a negative harmony, Eric Barnum okay. composition. Yep. I want to hear the whatever the opposite of the words. What is the opposite of a sweetheart? Uh, a, 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 a jilted. So <laughs> jilted, jilted person right. of the moon, right. and we're gonna we're gonna make it happen. No, I. It's a curious thing. These curiosities. I don't know. I mean, is it, is it, is it a sort of, is it one of these things? It's just a curiosity that will eventually die because there's no like functional purpose to it, or does it actually do something so wonderful that it it'll just start to manifest through the culture and become like everybody's going to do it reminds me of the uh, something i mentioned a couple weeks back which is called vaporwave which is taking old older pop songs and making them sort of weird and adding weird mm -hmm. stuff to them to to make them sound nostalgic or to make them sound a particular way does it this all i want for christmas is you what what does it from your observation due to the song. Yeah, I think the novelty of it and the reason that some of these have gone, um, you know, a bit viral on YouTube and stuff 
is because you know the song. Mm. And so when you hear the negative harmony version of it, you recognize the song. The rhythm is the same. The words are the same. It's a well-known, you know, this is pop music that they're applying this to. So it's a well-known thing. Um, and so there's something funny about hearing it, something that you know, but then you don't. In a way, you know, we talked about the uncanny last episode and all this. So it's a little uncanny, right? I think that there actually is a function. Um, and it, it's the same function that a composer would use when applying, you know, like why, why does set theory exist and, and why are there matrices and stuff like that? And why do we, when we're writing a fugue, why is it possible to invert a thing? Why is that a powerful technique from time to time? Um, so I do think actually that the way that it's laid out um, in conceptualizing it in, in the way that that Collier conceptualizes it, right, in, in popularizing this idea, actually could have some some benefit, you know, to someone who might be writing something and then um, you're looking for a variation. Theme and variation you know, or and, something. Yeah, right. you know, I mean, I, it is it is a cool technique. I have not heard anyone apply this to choral music um, that exists, you know, like could you reverse engineer, you know, insert the name of some wonderful song or what if you did this to you know the we talked about palestrina what is the negative harmony version of secret chervos you oh, know, right. is it is it amazing i don't know i'm gonna publish well, it, i'll just so. answer your question with honesty mm-hmm. the 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 piece that came to mind is monteverdi vespers that's what i would like to hear i don't know why that piece mm. came to mind yeah negative harmony is one of my favorite pieces of all time so good of course i get oh, i fantastic. get made fun of by my choir so often I mean, that every piece is my favorite piece. I will never do a piece that isn't my favorite piece. But I will say that's probably in the top five or top ten. Yeah. Top 50 at oh, least. Uh, yeah. I'm just kidding. It probably. It's fantastic. Oh, I just can't. Oh, so good. Anyway, a negative harmonical. Harmonical. That's good. a great word. I don't harmonical. know. I've never used yeah. that word. Let me put on my harmonical. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. Um, well, I've got dinner guests coming, Richard. Mm. And yes, and that means that you have to leave. <laughs> oh well, I've enjoyed this time in front of the fire. It is cold outside. Are you, are you sure I can't stay for just a, oh, a minute? You really can't stay. <laughs> it's cold outside. <laughs> Wait, let me try to prevent you from leaving in a, a very suspicious way that kind of is inappropriate. <laughs> no, I do wish you, Jennifer, and your whole family a beautiful and wonderful season. Uh, I want to thank... Matthias, one more time for his contribution to today's discussion around the fire. Um, I want to thank the fire for existing. And um, I want to thank whoever wrote that poem that was read in such a meaningful way today. Mm-hmm. Many, yeah. literally hundreds and hundreds of years ago, that thing has lasted centuries because of its greatness. Mm-hmm. And... Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I want to thank you for all things, and I want to bless you. Have a fantastic holiday. 
uh, and of course, our best to you and Heidi and the kids and um, friends. If you want to drop us a line, you are very welcome to at thecoralcontrarians at gmail.com. Reach out to us on the Coral Contrarians Listener Society on Facebook. We promise we will read your email and get back to you within the next few years. Guaranteed. <laughs> Man. <laughs> okay, now I, I, I really do need you to leave now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here we Bye-bye. go. Bye.